Well, at this time, if you would uh, take your Bible, and uh, Brother Blake mentioned uh, that was the last time they're going to stand. <laughs> Not quite true. So one more time, if you don't mind uh, standing for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so. Uh, Mark chapter number 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, we have 10 chapters down, six more to go. Uh, we're making our way through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, let's just say it's, it's taking a while. We started this in April of 2021, and here it is, uh, the end of June of 2022, and uh, we still have a ways to go yet, but we're getting there, and uh, I appreciate your patience and uh, your perseverance. Um, but uh, the title of the message uh, this morning is The Beginning of the End. That doesn't necessarily mean the beginning of the end of this series. <laughs> uh, we still, again, have uh, quite a ways to go yet, but um, this is definitely turning a page in the chapter of the ministry of Christ uh, here in Mark chapter 11. And verse number 1, and verse number 1 through 11 says this, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. Straightway he will send him hither. Well, they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door, without in a place where two ways meet, or met, and they loose him. And certain of them stood there, said unto him, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto him, them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees, and strawed them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the service thus far, for the time we've had to worship you, and uh, Lord, to even talk about what is going to be happening this week. And Lord, it's been sweet to be around your people. But Lord, now as we look into your word, I pray that you would help us to have a focus. Help us, Lord, to stay alert and awake to what you have for us today. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be just good hearers, but that we'd be good doers of your word, and that you would change us today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> it was uh, 11 days ago, the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning faced off in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals. You knew it was going to come eventually, right? Um, and this game one would mark the beginning of the end of the NHL season. After a long regular season and a grueling playoffs, these two teams met in Colorado for the beginning of the end. And tonight could mark the end if Colorado wins, just in case you care, which I think only about three or four of us in this room even care at all. 
but uh, with the beginning of the end, as the puck dropped that Wednesday night on June 15th, there was no doubt mixed emotions. There was excitement for the possibility of uh, your team winning the Stanley Cup, which is, by the way, um, the best trophy in all of sports, in my not-so-very-humble opinion. Um, but there's also a realization that the season will be over soon and no more hockey for a few months. And my wife says, amen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but to me, it's a sad deal. And I was thinking about, too, uh, my last week of high school. I was reminded of that because our oldest son just graduated uh, a month or so ago, and, and uh, I remember my last week of high school, and really all the tests were pretty well done, and they were just trying to keep the kids from doing bad damage, you know what I mean, just stay out of trouble a little bit as much as they could while we did rehearsal for the, uh, pra the graduation practice and all of that. I went to a public school, and uh, I remember that last week of high school, that, and I remember that, that first day of the week, and I was thinking back to that, and and uh, that brought mixed emotions, too. I was mostly glad that I was almost done with high school. I couldn't wait to get my, uh, do the tassel thing and, and to get my diploma and be finally done with high school. And I was excited, of course, for the future, but, but I was also a little sad, you know. I was reaching kind of a milestone in my life, a moment where it's like, hey, I'm kind of leaving my childhood behind. And uh, this is kind of a, wow, uh, a pretty big moment. Well, here in Mark chapter number 11, as I read the text a few moments ago, we find the beginning of the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ as he makes his way into Jerusalem. You see, in just a few short days, Jesus would lay down his life as the ultimate and final sacrifice for sin. Mixed emotions as we approach this time as well. Uh, sad to see him about to suffer so much on the cross and taste death for every man. But there's also an, an excitement, though, about seeing him rise from the grave. Sad to realize that his earthly ministry is about to be over, but grateful that this would ultimately lead and usher in the Holy Spirit being sent to permanently indwell believers. Mixed emotions. And so as we come to this, I can't help but think that there is some mixed emotions even in the heart and mind of our Savior as he gets ready to enter into Jerusalem. And so here in our text, we uh, read what happened there, but, but there's more in it than just a record of the events and a historical record. There's valuable lessons found within these special verses, and, uh, and today I want to look at these lessons that we can learn from the beginning of the end. And so let's dive into Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which marked the beginning of the end. First, let's look today at the preparation of Jesus. In verse number one, it says, When they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, they, they kind of stopped. And, uh, and then he sends forth two of his disciples. So as he gets ready to enter into Jerusalem, there were some things he needed to take care of to prepare for this triumphant and momentous entry into the city of God. And by the way, this was in direct fulfillment of the prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9. And I'm going to invite you to turn over there. And uh, Zechariah, you say, where is that in the Bible? Find Matthew. Go back one book. You're going to find Malachi 
and then the one before that is Zechariah. So Zechariah 9, and then look with me in verse number 9. Zechariah 9, 9 says this. This is a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah hundreds of years before Jesus would actually uh, be present in Mark chapter number 11. So Zechariah 9, 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. He is lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So here it pro there was prophecy and a promise that one day Jesus would come into Jerusalem riding upon this colt. He did, and he was making preparation for that. If you flip back to uh, Mark chapter number 11, I just wanted to show you where the prophecy was in the Bible regarding this event. And in this uh, preparation that Jesus makes here before he enters into Jerusalem, we see a couple important truths that I think we can learn some lessons from. First of all, uh, as we go through this passage, we're going to see that Jesus had complete control. He had control. In this event, we're going to see that nothing was happening by accident, but that Jesus was in complete control over everything. Okay, what specifically was he in control of? Well, first of all, he had control over the securing of this colt. Verse number two, he sends his two disciples and uh, gives them this instruction, go your way to the village over against you. And as soon as you be entered in, you shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Go ahead and loose him and bring him to me. And if any man say unto you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. So uh, he knew where this colt was located, and he knew that the, the men would ask what was going on, and they did in verse number uh, 5. What do ye, loosing the colt? Well, what are you guys doing? Losing, why are you loosing that colt? Well, what's going on? That's our colt. See, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to go on. And he knew what response would be necessary and what they would do after they heard that response. So verse number 6, they said unto him, even as Jesus commanded, and the Bible says, and they let them go. So Jesus knew all what was going to go on, and, and he was in complete control over securing that colt. But he also had control of the writing of the colt. Notice in... Uh, in verse number two, it says here, go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as you be entered in to it, you shall find a colt tied. And here's the key phrase here, whereon never man sat. So this colt, no man had ever sat on this colt and ridden him. And yet Jesus has him brought to Jesus. Um, and then in verse number seven, it says, they brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Now, I'm not Mr. Horse Guy. All right, I have ridden a horse or two in my day. In fact, right before we moved here uh, from Montana back in 2018, uh, there were some friends of ours that had promised Luke a horse ride, a trail ride. And so I got to go and be a part of it, and I got to ride one of their horses, and Luke did his own, and, and it was great until the very end. And uh, there's the horse I'm on. We're supposed to kind of go up this hill. The horse didn't really want to go up the hill. 
But the thing is, Eric still went up the hill because the horse just kind of kicked me off like that, and I kind of tumbled up the hill, and the horse just stood up there like, I ain't going up that hill. And everything was perfect until that point. So I'm not exactly an expert on breaking a horse in, but that had not happened yet. And uh, I know enough to know that if a horse has not been broken in, you don't just get on it and off you go, and they're going to obey every little click or or whatever you do to make those uh, horses go. And yet Jesus, in verse number 7, he sat upon him without breaking him in, without going through that rigorous uh, training time for that horse. Why? Because Jesus had control. I'm thankful this morning that the Lord is in control even in the details, aren't you? Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 15 tells us about Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And listen to this. And by Him all things consist. So He is in control of the planets and their orbits. He is in control of our atmosphere. He is in control of the physical body that you and I are in. He is in control of all things. By Him, all things consist. And I realize that, hey, I'm thankful for those Supreme Court justices that decided what they decided this week. But ultimately, it was God that was the one in charge. I mean, I am thankful for the courage of those men to make those, um, to cast those votes. But at the same time, ultimately, it was the Lord who was in control of all of it. Psalm 115, verse number three says, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. See, God is in control. Psalm 22, verse 28, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Said, no, no, our, our governor here in Oklahoma is Governor Stitt. And the governor of America is, well, anyway. Um, okay, ultimately, we know it is God who is over the nations. God's in control. So, friend, he is in control. By the way, not just this situation here in Mark chapter 11 with the securing of the cult and having control over the cult. No, no, he is also control of all that's going on now. And all, all that is going on in my life and in yours, every single detail. While he still allows us to choose and to have our free will, this doesn't take that away at all, but he is still in control. And uh, he does orchestrate things. I was, uh, my wife and I are getting ready to celebrate our 22nd anniversary, and, and we think about how God orchestrated us coming together and meeting. And for, for me she was willing to fall in love with this, uh, it's pretty amazing. God had to be the one in charge of that one. Uh, but I, I am thankful for God's uh, orchestration in our lives. And, and by the way, it's not just in that scenario. He orchestrates all areas. I have reminded, and, and I talked about this on Wednesday night as we went through and talked about the sovereignty of God. But, um, I mean, just many times I'm out and about in town and just so happen to meet somebody, maybe one of you. 
I just so happened to see you there. I just so happened to, uh, you know what? The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. See, he is in control. And, and Jesus here shows us his control. Uh, but, but he also not only had control, he also had cooperation in this passage. He could have just spoke it and this donkey would have come out of nowhere. But instead, he chose to use others to accomplish the work of God. He required and had some cooperation. In verse number one, it says this, he sent at the end of it, it says he sendeth forth two of his disciples. So the disciples were willing to go. Verse number four, they went their way and they did what Jesus had asked them to do. They were cooperating with the Lord. Uh, who else was cooperating here? The cult owners were cooperative in verse number six. At first, in verse number five, they're like, hey, what is going on? It almost looks like you're trying to take our cult. And they're like, exactly right. The Lord hath need of him. Okay. And the Bible simply says they let him, they let them go. So they were cooperative. And by the way, even the cult was cooperative. As Jesus mounts this uh, this cult that had never had anybody uh, mount him, now he was probably tempted to bolt, but instead he stayed and was calm and allowed Jesus uh, to ride him into Jerusalem. So the cult was cooperative. The cult owners were cooperative. The disciples were cooperative. Look, God doesn't need to use us in his work, but praise the Lord, he chooses to use us in his work. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord of Lords and to be part of the work of God. This is the greatest and highest honor, by the way, and it's not just for those who are in, quote, full-time ministry. It's for every one of us, every believer, to be able to serve the Lord in some type of capacity, whether it be at VBS, whether it be ushering, whether it be uh, working in the sound booth and, and clapping at the wrong time when a uh, pastor is talking about uh, hockey being over. That's, that's the wrong time. To be clapping. Um, I guess that means that college football is getting closer, and that, that's, that's what that signals. That's what he was clapping for, I'm sure. But I, but I am reminded here, if, if you want to look here in verse number three, there is a, there is a statement in here that, that I think we need to, we need to see and, and to realize that, that it's not just for a cult somewhere. It's for all of us. In verse number three, if any man say unto you, why, if, why do ye this? Say ye that, and here's the phrase, the Lord hath need of him. The Lord hath need of him. The Lord doesn't, technically, you know, again, the Lord didn't need need. Because um, again, he could, have, he could have snapped his finger or spoken uh, the word and that cult would have come. But Again, he, he, he chose to use people to get his work accomplished. The Lord has work still needing to be accomplished, by the way, folks. Again, I'm thankful for the work that was done this week in the Supreme Court. But that doesn't mean that, again, we get to now go and do whatever we want. We have no job left to do. We still have a big job to do. We have been still called in the word of God to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
to go into all the nations and, and get the gospel into, into Jerusalem, Samaria, and, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We're called to do that. Could God use a different means? He could have chosen a different means to do it, but instead he's chosen to use us to do that. The Lord hath need of us to go and do it. Are we willing to be cooperating with the Lord? By the way, it's also important to cooperate on the inside as well as on the outside. To not just be compliant outwardly, but also inwardly. There's that classic story about a father who told his little four-year-old son to sit down. The son didn't want to sit down, and he didn't. So the father said a second time, son, I said, sit down. The boy still didn't sit down. Finally, the father took him by the shoulders and forcefully placed him in the chair and sat him down. And he said, now, son, sit there. And the little boy answered, well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. I hope that we're not like that as Christians when it comes to obeying the Lord and cooperating in the work of God. Yeah, I'll serve at VBS, Brother Blake, but I'm not going to like it. (laughs) Don't you know it's hot? Yeah, it's Oklahoma and it's June. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be Oklahoma or June. (laughs) I mean, look, I get it. There's times where we may not be feeling the vibe to do this, but, and we need to do it regardless of whether we're feeling it inside. But, but, but as we strive to cooperate with the Lord, can I encourage all of us to cooperate not just on the outside, but also on the inside as well? Ephesians 6, 6 says, Not with thy servants as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See, our motives are also important not just the action, our attitude in it. Titus chapter number, I don't have it in my notes, so bear with me as I turn there, but Titus chapter number 2. In verse number uh, 14, it says this. uh, Well, verse 13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, we, we see this, this good works here being cooperating in the work of God, but then there, there's the right attitude on the zealous about it, that we're doing it from the heart. We're not just doing it because we have to, and now who else is going to do it? I guess I have to do it again, but that we really want to serve the Lord from our hearts. So this week as we serve at VBS, let's cooperate with the Lord. And by the way, what a privilege it is to cooperate with the Lord in this way. It's not a drudgery. It's not a, ah, another VBS. He's come around so often. Has it already been a year? Not exactly. We did ours in July last year, so it hasn't quite been a year. But, but here's the deal. Um, it's an awesome opportunity for us to cooperate with the Lord. Let's do so outwardly as well as inwardly. And, and there was cooperation here. And what a, what a privilege it is for, you know, we don't know the names of these cult owners, Verses 5 and 6. Uh, we don't know who them were and uh, they were in, in verses 5 and 6, but, but I imagine when we get to heaven, they're going to be like, hey, you remember reading in Mark chapter 11, the them and the they? I was one of them and I was one of they. 
I got to be one of the ones who said, yeah, you can have our cult. They, they got to be part of the work of God. What a privilege it is. So this morning as we consider uh, the work of God, what a privilege it is to cooperate with Him and to be used of Him and to realize that the Lord hath need of me. I'm not worthy to be used, but He does choose to use imperfect people in the work of God. What, a, what an awesome thing. And so we see the preparation of Jesus. And then number two here, as we make our way through this passage, we see also the praise for Jesus. In verse number eight, it says, And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. A couple of lessons that we can learn from the praise for Jesus here. First of all, uh, we see that there is a cost. Verse number eight. Notice here it says, and many spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. So, in other words, this took effort. This took sacrifice. I mean, they had to take off some of their garments uh, that probably were pretty special, knowing that they were going to get trampled on by this donkey. And they, they put it in the way, and they said, you know what? You can have that. And then they went out, some of them did, and... Uh, cut down branches off the trees. And uh, actually, it feels a lot better without that jacket on, so I'm glad I did that illustration. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, we've had a couple uh, work days here at our church where we went around the property and, and, and trimmed trees, and uh, many of our guys came out to help with that, and, and uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful time. But you know what? It was work. It was effort to cut down these trees and, and to cut down these branches, for these people. And then they, they strawed them in the way. They, they got them and, and, and got it all together. So it was, it was nice and, and ready for Jesus to come uh, over. And so here's the point, though. They prepared to worship the Lord. It was not a haphazard situation. They weren't flipping about it. They, weren't pa they, they were passionate about it. And, and look at verse number 9. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying... It wasn't like, oh, Hosanna. Uh, blessed, uh, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. When is this song going to be over? Blessed be the kingdom of our father David. That wasn't their attitude in their worship at all. They cried out. It was a passion. They were excited about it. There was a cost involved. Now, I'm all for the comforts of worshiping the Lord. We have air conditioning here, mostly. Um, seen better days <laughs> today. Hey, but praise the Lord, it's not 100 degrees outside, so it could be worse. I I'm all for having some comforts. I'm glad we have nice chairs, mostly, until people start falling asleep in them. Uh, I'm thankful for a sound system so that you can hear easier. But, but here's a good question. Would you still worship if those things weren't part of it? Let's say there was zero air conditioning in this building and we had 
those hard old pews, would you still come? Would you still be excited to come and worship? Or are you just not that interested in paying the cost, paying the price to worship? I've heard from several of our missionaries that it's very common to have people who walk not just a few minutes to church, but even hours to come and worship. And they're willing to stay. They don't want church to end. They want to stay because, uh, you know, they didn't walk two hours to church just so that they can turn around and, in an hour to go home. They, they, they want to be there. In many cultures, there's a great willingness to sacrifice in order to worship. But what about us? Are we too focused on our comfort? Has comfort and convenience become an idol in our lives? That we will only worship when it is comfortable and convenient? See, in verse number 8, and, and really even in verse number 7, we see the disciples involved in some sacrifice as well. And they brought the cult to Jesus and then cast their garments on him. So the, the disciples, they took their garments and they placed it over the, hey, I'm going to use this as a donkey. Didn't know that that was going to be used. In those, I didn't either until right now. But they placed their garments on the donkey so that Jesus could uh, have somewhat of a saddle. They were willing to sacrifice. I was, re I was thinking about uh, David. King David, and he said this about his offering to the Lord. And when the king said unto, and here's what the king David said unto uh, Aruna, he said, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Aruna was offering uh, David a free uh, threshing floor and oxen for free. He was, he was offering that as a freebie because, I mean, he was the king. And David, and David said, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of, of silver. So here it is. David wanted his sacrifice for the Lord to cost him something. He didn't want to just give a freebie to the Lord. He felt as though the Lord deserved real sacrifice. Now, I'm not saying we need to go make it all difficult on ourselves. Again, I'm thankful for uh, some of the comforts that we have. But if that's the goal, that's the wrong goal. By the way, isn't Jesus worthy of any amount of sacrifice that we could make for him? Isn't he worthy of it? Here's what C.T. Studd said. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Yeah, that needs to be our attitude. So we see that there was a cost, but notice here also that there was, a, there was content to the praise. In verse number 9, they that went before and they that followed cried. And again, there was that passion. There was, their, that there was a cost involved in there. But what did they cry out? They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. By the way, this wasn't vain or empty. There was real meaning and real significance uh, to these phrases. What do these phrases mean? I'm going to break it down very quickly for you. Uh, the first uh, word, Hosanna, that means originally save, we pray. 
but it later became an explanation of, of praise. And it could be that the people meant by this, save we pray from our Roman oppressors. So as Jesus is coming, they're like, hey, uh, the Savior has come. Please save us. They weren't meaning saving us from our sin, saving us from the Romans. But then they go on to say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And this was a clear recognition that Jesus was the promised Messiah, according to Psalm 128 and verse 26, where the Bible says, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So they were hoping that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was come to deliver them from Rome. And then the next phrase in verse number uh, 10, Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. They were thinking that Jesus was coming to set up the kingdom where Christ would sit on the throne of David and he would kind of take over government. And that's what they were thinking. And then they end with Hosanna in the highest. This was a call to praise the Lord in the highest heavens or for him to save from the highest heavens. And uh, in Luke's gospel, as Luke records this event, we learn that not everyone was okay with what was going on in their praise. Not everybody was applauding it. In Luke 19, 39, it says this, And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. He's worthy of praise, isn't he? And he deserves it, and he's going to get it. And so here we see the content of their praise. But then, thirdly, let's look at the confusion. So while we applaud these people for worshiping the Lord with passion, emotion, and even with sacrifice, it didn't last because they were confused as to what Jesus came to do. And when it wasn't exactly what they had hoped, then all bets were off. So Jesus didn't come to merely set them free from Roman oppression and ease their financial burden. He came to set them free from the bondage of their sin and to give them what was needed most, eternal life. Not just a better standard of living, but eternal life. A much higher purpose than a mere political cause. Now, I am not saying that politics is bad and wrong. Politics can accomplish some great things. And uh, again want to reference the, the previous decision that we talked about uh, from the Supreme Court. And that removes the constitutional right to murder babies. And I'm grateful for that. I realize that doesn't remove the constitutional right in some states to murder babies. But I'm thankful that here in Oklahoma, uh, that is not a right any longer. To God be the glory. And I, and, I, and I do think it is kind of ironic, and I realize it didn't really have anything to do with them, but I just think it's ironic that it happened right smack dab in the middle of the current administration, this decision being made. I think that's kind of ironic. And so praise the Lord for it. And, and look, this Tuesday is Election Day, and, and I want to encourage you to go out and vote. Vote according to biblical principles and for those who will make right decisions with integrity and conviction. I mean, uh, politics can accomplish some great things, but the greatest need of our day is not political reform. It's a need, yes, but it's not the greatest need. Our greatest need is to be saved from our sin. And that's what Jesus came to provide these people. 
Uh, they thought he came to provide political reform and to ease their financial burden and so that we don't have to answer to the Romans anymore. Won't that be nice? But the, 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 the major deal here is that Jesus came to offer them eternal life, which is what they needed very most. Well, when these people finally realized that Jesus wasn't going to provide the political reform they were hoping for, then you know what? They completely changed their tune. These people, in just a few short days, these same people who were passionately worshiping the Lord, cried out with the same energy, with the same passion, with the same heart, that Jesus would be crucified. Same people. I mean, one day... Oh, aren't we so glad you're here? Here, let me give you my garment. Here, let me go uh, do some chores for you and, and, and break down some branches and, and lay them out so that you have a nice path for you to go enter into Jerusalem on. And, and won't that be nice? Okay, those same people, when they realize that Jesus did not come to make them healthy, wealthy, and wise, they decided, you know what? Let's end this guy's life. It's a pretty remarkable change, and it all had to do with the confusion that was in their mind on what Jesus was there for. There's a lot of people in our day and age who think if they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that he will give them everything they want, that he becomes a, a, a magic genie, that all you have to do is rub, the, I mean, pray, right? And then he'll give you everything that you want, that he's going to fix everything. I'm going to be rich now. I'm going to never have any more problems. Well, actually, that's not what Jesus promised at all. In fact, he promised that in this world there will be tribulations and trials. And uh, by the way, there's also a promise that those who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. So it's not exactly a promise of an easier life. In many ways, it becomes a harder life. Yes, we have the presence of God in our life. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. And I wouldn't trade that for any amount of other type of blessings, but it's not exactly a cakewalk. So are you worshiping God for only what he might do in your life or because who he actually is? Because there's a big difference. People here in Mark chapter 11 were worshiping Jesus for what they hoped he might do in their lives. But when he didn't, then you know what? Off with his head. Crucify him! Crucify him! As loud as they were in saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, they were that loud or louder as they called out for his crucifixion. Pretty amazing. Because they were confused. So, my encouragement to you this morning is don't be confused as to who Jesus is and what he promises to do in our lives. Yes, he promises to come and give us forgiveness of sin, which is what we need most. But he doesn't necessarily promise that we're going to be the richest guy on the block and that we're going to have all the nice, cool, fancy toys that everybody else has. He came to meet our greatest need, not our greeds. And that's what these people thought he was there for. They were confused. And so we see the praise for Jesus. But then number three, as we wrap this up this morning, we see the perception of Jesus in verse number 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. 
And notice this, when he had looked round about upon all things. And now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. That little phrase there, when he looked round about upon all things. Mark here details something very interesting about Jesus. And remember, Peter was the one relaying this information to Mark. So this obviously caught Peter's attention as they enter into Jerusalem and, Peter, and, and, and Jesus and the disciples stop and, and he kind of takes a moment to, to take it all in. And he looks around. It's a very deliberate, intentional look and you can tell something's going on in his mind and Peter's watching Jesus wa- look around. And this, this caught Peter's attention and he said, hey Mark, you, when, when you write that, make sure you mention that he looked round about on all things because he just did this panorama of uh, the this, this scene there in the temple and in Jerusalem. He had looked around about on all things. I remember the night I left Liberty Baptist Church, it was June 21st, 2015, so it was just over seven years ago. It was a Father's Day. I remember cleaning out my office that Sunday night, and my office that I had called my home away from home for almost 16 years. I looked around, and I took it all in. I was thinking of all the memories and all the work that was done in that little office, all the lessons that were prepared in there, all the little meetings. Oftentimes, we had our children in that office, and so I was thinking back to some of the naps that they took in my office when they were little, even some of the diaper changes that took place in my office. I remember the frustration that I felt in that office, the victories, the tears, the prayers. I thought of the past as I looked around that office and took it all in for one last time before we left to move to Montana. So I looked and thought about the past. But here as Jesus looks out on Jerusalem and into the temple, he takes it all in and perhaps he does also consider the past. After all, being that he is the eternal son of God. He was there when the temple was built that he walked into. But I believe he was taking it in more for what was about to happen in the future. That these people who he was publicly proclaiming that he was the Messiah are going to, in just a couple days, completely reject him as their Messiah. Here's what Luke says happened as Jesus looked on Jerusalem. Luke 19, 41, 42, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. So there were tears coming from the eyes of our Savior as he looked over Jerusalem. And he said, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes because you failed to receive me as your Messiah You're being blinded to the peace that you could have had if you just would have received me. But here's the point. In verse number 11, when he had looked round about upon, upon all things, Jesus is still looking upon all things. His eyes still behold and perceives on all things. The Bible declares in Proverbs 5 and verse 21, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. 
Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good, or the evil and the good. Zechariah 4.10, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Look, sadly, we have taken this precious and unique attribute of our great and holy God. The fact that he can see all of us. And we've given it to a fictional character named Santa Claus. I realize it's June, so it's a little safe to do this. Because I don't want to be a Scrooge this morning, but listen. I mean, you remember the song. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for... See, I knew you knew the song. <laughs> now, first of all, isn't it kind of creepy to consider that an old fat guy with a white beard sees everything that I do? Isn't that just a tad creepy to you? But secondly, at the risk of sounding like a Scrooge, do you really think it's spiritually healthy to teach your children and our children that someone other than God has the ability to see everything going on in our lives? Not trying to be a Scrooge. I like Christmas, believe me. But God alone has the ability to see what's going on in our lives. Doesn't he? Or does someone else that we need to know about? I know, big brother, I get it. <laughs> Amazon and Google, they all know, and, and they know too much, I get it. But God knows all, and he sees all. The perception of Jesus, since he can and does see all that's going on in your life. By the way, he sees your past, present, and future. And since he looks on all things, may we live that with, with that in reality in mind. I mean, would you live differently? Here's the deal. If you, would you live differently if somehow uh, we had a, uh, a special camera that uh, we said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to give you this camera and it's going to record you 24-7 for the next seven days. And then we're going to watch the video on the screen next Sunday of your life. Would you live differently? I probably would. <laughs> um, now, obviously, we don't have that ability, nor would we ever use it if we had it. But the Lord does have that ability. So should that change the way that I live this week? Yes. Should that affect the way that you live this week? Yes. Psalm 120, 139, verse 7 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up in heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, well, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and light are both alike to thee. God sees everything, no matter what time of day it is, no matter where we are in this world, he sees it all. So, the perception of Jesus. He takes time to perceive. So, as we think back to this message here, and just a couple quick lessons, and then we'll, we'll close. Jesus has control. Aren't you grateful for that? Let's trust him that he is in control of all that goes on. 
He also wants us and allows us to cooperate with him in his work. Let's do so outwardly as well as inwardly. And then there's also a cost to praising the Lord. Be sure you are praising him for who he actually is, not for a false hope of what he might do in your life. And then be reminded that Jesus does look around at all things and cares about every nook and cranny in our lives. This moment marked the beginning of the end as Jesus wraps up his earthly ministry and prepares to be the sacrifice for our sin. And I'm glad that he did become the sacrifice for our sin. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from this event. This event where you marked the beginning of the end. Lord, help us to trust the fact that you're in control of all things and to help us, Lord, to be willing and ready to cooperate in the work of God and what a privilege it is to do so. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to praise you for who you really are and to be willing to make some sacrifice if need be. Help us, Lord, to not just love comfort so much that that limits our praise for you. Help us, Lord, to not be confused as to why you came. You came to set us free from our sin, to give us a deliverance from the bondage of our own iniquity. If there's one here today that has never trusted you as their Savior and is still under that bondage, I pray that you'd set them free today, that they would come to, come to you for salvation, that they would believe on Christ and repent and turn from their sin and believe on you. And then, Lord... Help us to remember that you do look around on all things. And Lord, you do see everything that is going on in my life. And I pray, Lord, I would live differently because of it. Our heads are bowed, eyes closed, and uh, we're going to have a time of prayer and, and decision um, as Miss Pat begins to play. And uh, as she does, I want to invite you to have a time right there in your seat to pray and make a decision that God has spoken to you about today.